Welcome back to the Social Impact Level Up podcast. This is where we blur the lines between business, nonprofit, and impact. I'm your host, Wendy B, and I'm a social impact strategist here to help you build a successful and sustainable legacy of social change. In this week's episode, we're going to hear from a social entrepreneur who has been on a journey to change the world just like you. If you are interested in social entrepreneurship, this is the place for you. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. It's me, Wendy B, and we are back with another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast. Our guest today is Ian Westmoreland, and he is coming to us all the way from Australia. We have connected around social entrepreneurship, and, and he has a really amazing story to tell. There are so many people who have passion projects throughout their lives, but very few take the time to act on them. Ian is one of these people who takes action, and when he takes action, he takes massive action and he inspires other people to come along with him. So we're going to get a little peek into his journey and what makes him tick. All right, Ian, do you want to give a quick introduction to who you are and how you make an impact? Okay, as you said, Ian Westmoreland. I'm in Sydney, sunny Sydney, Australia. It's the middle of summer over here. And, and uh, as we're doing this, it's about 8.30 a.m. on Tuesday, and it's your Monday afternoon, which is, which is, uh, which is interesting. So uh, a bit about me, I'm married, uh, four kids, and we have 12 grandchildren now, our 12th and probably last one was born a few months ago. Uh, so family is a big part of my life. Uh, most of my working life was as a, an IT manager. Uh, I ran a, a number of other businesses on the side trying to make money. I used to import squash and tennis rackets. We ran a milk bar, did a number of other entrepreneurial things aimed at making money. But I managed to move my way up through the corporate ladder as as a contract IT manager, finished up on a, making relatively good money. And then in, on the 10th of September, 2013, I got on the train to come to work and I continued reading a book that my youngest daughter, Adele, had given me. And what I read that morning transformed my thinking and ultimately the future of my life. And in May, 2014, I quit paid work. So I've been a full-time volunteer for the last nine years. And I felt led uh, down a path where I started uh, mentoring uh, high school students in a number of Sydney high schools. And then in addition to that, I started mentoring kids in uh, primary schools. And then I took on a role as a coordinator for family mentoring programs. So I felt led down the mentoring path. And then in 2018, I was struggling myself. I looked around for the nearest organization that provided uh, life mentoring to men and was surprised and incredibly disappointed to find that there wasn't one. I probably should clarify, mentoring is such a broad term. For most people in business, mentoring means where there's someone with acquired skills, knowledge, experience, who guides, directs, advises someone else. I call what I've did as a volunteer and what I was looking for is life mentoring. And the big difference, it's people aren't broken. They don't need fixing. They just need someone who actively listens to them, who validates them. And it's amazing the therapeutic benefit that hap happens through that. Uh, I might pause there because that then led on to, I guess, my business journey, my, my passion project business journey. 
So that's that's my background. IT, desperate for money, uh, doing everything I could. Sometimes poor, which is one of the drivers behind trying to make money. But ultimately, that life-changing moment that's led me to, I guess, change my life direction and, I guess, find the uh, my, my purpose, um, which I believe I'm living out at the moment. Yeah, and our co-host, Rodrigo Bravo, is also here. So I'm going to turn it over to Rodrigo to lead most of this conversation with you because you guys have so much in common. So I'm going to hang out and not take the driver's seat for this episode and toss it over to Rodrigo. So Rodrigo, go ahead and jump on in. Well, I appreciate that, Wendy. And Ian said something that I really want to kind of explore because there's a lot of men like Ian and myself who started off in various industries, right? We we kind of, you know, just bounced around, did what we needed to do, right? To provide for our families, uh, to to make money. But ultimately, maybe we weren't satisfied or there was something that was missing. Uh, I, I too went the same route that you did, Ian, in the in the sense that I bounced around. I mean, I worked in construction, structural engineering, then transit, and then uh, finally uh, management, fields, uh, facilities maintenance. And so that's a wide kind of variety of of fields. And then at the end, I started to realize, yeah, I kind of have a passion for helping folks. And so uh, you know, you, you kind of you kind of left us on a cliffhanger at one point because you talked about that moment. That, that kind of just changed your perspective. Why don't you share that moment with us and tell us how, you know, what led to it and then what really happened that really transformed your, uh, your thinking. So in 2013, I start to increasingly think there's more to life than just making money and delivering software changes. So I've been meditating on this. Now, I should preface what I'm going to say here that everything I'm involved in uh, is secular. I don't we don't care what the background, what the beliefs, what gender diversity, any of those things don't matter. I'm a Christian. And the, the book that I read was a Christian book. And it actually queried the meaning of life. And it listed some, a number of different things. And as I went through, like have a family, uh, um, uh, get married, get married should have been before have a family, hopefully, <laughs> get a job. And, uh, tick, tick, tick as I was going through, pay taxes, live a decent lo- life, and most of the ticks to those. Even had buy a boat, tick. And then the author said, hit age 59 and a half, collect retirement, die. And I read that on the 10th of September uh, uh, 2013. I was born on the 10th of March. 1954. I was 59 and a half to the day that I read that. So it really got my, my attention. Um, so that, and it said it, it took a few months because I had to put things in place, but in May, 2014, that's when I, when it's, when I left work. I, I think it's, I think it's always interesting that a lot of times it does just take a moment, right? That, that, that inspiration has always lived in us, but it just takes something to really just how, you know, just kind of tell us, hey, you know what, what have, been, what have I been doing? And then you get that sudden moment of clarity. Yeah. Wendy touched on it before. Um, often it's, it's this ability. People ask me, well, how did you manage to set all these things up? What did you do? And, and it's that decision to actually, I'm going to do something about this. I meet so many people who have got a, a passion, incredibly smart, educated. They've got, they've got a great um, thing that they're called to do, 
but they don't do it. And I don't know whether it's analysis paralysis or whether it's fear or, um, you know, um, someone's just writing up my, uh, I'm getting a speaker, speaker bio together and it's like ready, fire, aim. And it's, it's interesting. I have a, a, if you can see the mentoring men banner there behind me. So I, when I started mentoring men, I went down to the local shopping center and I had the pull up banner. And I just talked to people. I'd hand out flyers. And this guy stopped, saw the banner, stopped, came out and talked to me. And he told me about this passion he had to support new dads. Now, in Australia, there's a lot of support for new mums, rightly. But um, women, I guess, have the advantage. They go through a number of changes that help prepare them for motherhood. Men don't go through those changes. And for many men, fatherhood is, is, is difficult. They're not sure what to do. How, and his idea was to provide some resources for men and he'd been thinking about this for years and years and years but he hadn't done anything and then a month later i met another guy outside a pizza shop in in sydney and he told me ian i want to reduce suicide amongst men on the on the beach northern beaches area and he pulled out an a4 a single a4 sheet and he had some things on that and he'd been thinking about this for years but hadn't done anything i flew down to melbourne uh, and i met a guy in a pub that i we, we connected online he was a, um, a, a, had an Indian migrant background. And he said, hey, I want to support new migrants coming into this country. It's, uh, he went through a number of challenges. And he'd been working, thinking about this for years. None of those guys had done anything about anything uh, that was, they struggled to get things going with what they, were, what they wanted to do. What mentoring meant? provided them was a platform and they jumped on the vehicle. They became a, a social worker within mentoring men, run training courses, and we supported more. So we're able to do all that stuff. So whether it's in the not-for-profit space or the business space, I think the vast majority of people have ideas that they just don't progress. And I did a book writing uh, workshop a few months ago, and the figure that the facilitator shared was 80% of people say they want to write a book and 2% do. Now, there's a balance. I mean, I'm not saying oh, just run off and commit all your, your, your mortgage and your home and, and, and all your money and just go and do stuff. I'm not saying that. But the vast majority of people are on the other side of things. They just, they just don't do that. Uh, they don't take that first step. I think later on in life, they'll probably regret not doing that. And on reflection of my life there's been some key points and each of those key points has been a decision to step out in 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 faith or whatever people want to say but actually to take it take that step i i i love that i think wendy can definitely uh, um understand that whole kind of paralysis right analysis paralysis because uh, she went through that i went through that I think that's one of the biggest things that we are always talking about. Do it, right? You, you said that at the very beginning, ready? Ready, fire, aim. <laughs> right? it, it sounds way out of place, but it's actually correct. If you stay waiting to aim, you don't, you're going to be just, you know, perfectionism, right? And, and you just waste time. It's better just go fire and aim as you fire. And, and I, I love what you said right there. And I know Wendy could probably reflect a little bit on that as well, because she, like I, we started our own businesses far later than we probably should have. I know for myself, 
I, I should have been doing this years ago. I would say even a decade ago. You know, it, it took some work to get here, but but I, I really do realize, dang, I, I kind of spent some time that I didn't have doing something that I love to do, but it wasn't my passion. Would you agree, Wendy? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that the idea of someone carrying around a sheet of paper with them for years with this idea on it, but not feeling safe enough to do it until they had support, it says something about the the mentoring men community that you've created, that you not only created the platform, but also created the support mechanisms for people to feel like they can go from paper into action and feel comfortable to making that transition. And so I wanted to hear a little bit more about what what is mentoring men, if you could describe it to us and how it how it looks or how it works in, in Australia, because I think there's probably a lot of people in our audience, particularly in America, who've never heard of this program before. Okay. So Mentoring Men is a free program. So we train up our volunteers through our own mentor training course and also through suicide prevention. And then we carefully match them to a man who may be going through life challenges, things like job loss, relationship breakdown, um, addiction, loneliness, isolation, or anything. And the matching could be on uh, common interests. You know, they both like to fish, or it could be um, lived experience, obviously language and culture, those sort of things may come into it. And the relationship is a long-term one-to-one relationship. Um, and as the relationship develops, as trust develops, uh, the men start to feel safe to actually open up and start talking about what's going on. And I've had a, a, been a mentor in a number of these relationships. And you know the relationship's going well when you start to hear things like, look, Ian, I've, I've never told anyone this before, but... And the, in terms of the meetings, um, sometimes the meetings are uh, face-to-face, say, in, a, in a, a cafe. But what I found works really well is just going for a walk together side by side. I know, I, I mean, I, I, I cry, uh, uh, but I, I used to not want people to see me cry. I didn't want other people to see the, uh, the perceived weakness or emotion in my eyes. But walking side by side changes that dynamic. And it's, uh, so I, I, that's a really good way to do this. So it's been a, an amazing program. Uh, uh, I totally underestimated how much work was involved in setting it up. I don't want to put people off starting, but uh, I was working. Uh, I used the word work. You know, Mark, Mark Twain said, if you find something you like doing, you never work a day in your life. And, uh, but I was involved in it seven days a week, probably 12 hours a day. There were some sacrifices there. I mentioned my big family and, and um, sometimes I had to miss family things to, to get the program going. But after a relatively slow start, it grew rapidly, particularly under COVID. And eventually, uh, people started uh, financially supporting us. Um, there's been one amazing philanthropist I've never met uh, who's committed funding for five years. So at the end of 2021, um, I stepped aside from all operational sides of the program. There's now a team of about 10 people headed up by a psychologist um, who runs the organization. Um, and I'm an ambassador f- for the program. And I moved on, I guess, to then start another uh, passion project. Um, Mentoring Men is uh, currently only available in Australia. Um, before starting it, I did look around to see if there was a suitable mentoring program um, ar- 
around the world and I couldn't find anything. There was, there might've been mentoring programs for, for a specific culture or a specific uh, group, gender diverse group or whatever, but there wasn't a free widely available program. Probably should say what the catalyst was for this as well. Um, so, so I started volunteer mentoring and then I mentioned 2018, I had a, a challenge myself and I was mentoring a young guy at one of the local high schools. And in the meeting, the first meeting I had with him, he shared with me that his father had suicided. Um, his mum was an addict who was in and out of rehab. Um, he was living with his grandparents, which he hated. And then he just looked at me, looked me in the eyes and he started crying and he said, Ian, help me. I mean, what can you do? What can you do? And I debriefed with a program counsellor uh, after the mentoring. And she said, I was looking for advice. She said, Ian, are you okay? And then I just started crying. And uh, it took a few months, but then I realised that I actually wanted someone that I could talk to. I've been married for 40 years, but it's not wasn't going to be my wife. I wanted someone that I can just talk to. And that's where I found out there was nothing like this. So my, my dream for mentoring men is to have this available worldwide, particularly in the Western world, where we seem to struggle with more of these issues. There's, I think there's a, a number of reasons why men in particular struggle. I don't know what the stats are in, in America, um, but in, in Australia, about 80% of suicides are men. And they, um, and if men are going through separation, the ratio goes from uh, three or four to one men to women to 12 to one. So men like really struggling in this area. We have a lot of issues around uh, domestic violence of men uh, committing domestic violence against women. Should also mention it's also men with men and women with women and women with men, but the bulk of it in Australia is men with women. And there's things like that, that uh, mentoring, helps address can i move on to the second passion project is that okay is that, it's a segue is it... absolutely because okay. I mean, like i said in the beginning you're a serial entrepreneur so you can't <laughs> just sit still <laughs> I, I think this i've told my i promised my wife this will be the last one and uh and as i shared i guess before we came on air there's a couple of challenges with with uh just my own health at the moment with, with getting this but this is this is my passion project in in the 1990s, 1980s, 90s, I loved reading biographies, autobiographies of inspiring stories, of overcoming adversity stories like Nelson Mandela, stories like that. And I saw the benefit it had on me. And I thought, how good would it be to get a, a book together of people who would overcome adversity to share their story, to give hope and inspiration to others who may be going through similar challenges? And at the time, I didn't have the self-confidence. Uh, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the money. And I wrote to uh, three community leaders in Australia just to let them know about this, uh, thinking that, you know, that maybe they'll take it on. And one of them sent me back a handwritten note. He's a famous entrepreneur in Australia called Dick Smith. And he wrote back to me, he said, Ian, this is a great idea. And then he said, you do it. <laughs> and uh, it sat there for, for, uh, for 30 years. And when I stepped aside, uh, from all the mentoring men operational responsibility, I thought, um, I'm going to do this. And I mentioned to a few people and one of a uh, contact, 
obviously had a lot of contacts in mentoring men, which which uh, great advisors, great uh, mentors to me. And um, one of them came back to me saying, I've got a name for your project. He's, he's, I said, what is it? So Kintsugi. I'd never heard of it, uh, probably like most people. And uh, he explained what it was. That the legend is there was a, a Japanese emperor who had some valuable pottery, like my $2 coffee cup here. And over time, it got uh, chipped, it got cracked, it got broken. And he said to his craftsmen, I want you to fix it, put it back together so you, you can't see this ever been damaged. And they couldn't do it. But what they could do was uh, 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 use a precious metal like gold to highlight the cracks, to fix the chips and all that sort of stuff. So now when you look at it, it's far more valuable it's far more beautiful than what it was before. And the metaphor is for us, the Wendy, the Rodriguez, the Ian, who go through life challenges. We have our own lived experience and we're now far more valuable, far more beautiful in terms of being able to support the people around us. So we call the program Kintsugi Heroes and it's basically we have a recorded conversation with someone who's been through a lived experience um, that lived experience could be things like addiction, could be abuse, um, it could be physical disability, mental disability, might have been a migrant, and a whole bunch of other things. And they just share their story, and then we edit it, and it's issued as a um, a podcast or a, as a YouTube video. So we launched in December. I'm incredibly excited about it, and I was just thinking, coming back to the ready fire aim. So is it perfect? Uh, uh, no, um, but we, we're getting a lot of people are coming back and saying, getting some amazing uh, uh, hope and inspiration. My original goal was hope and inspiration, but I've added to that. It's also education. And people like me, so I had a relatively sheltered life. I worked as an IT manager. Um, I didn't get involved in drugs. I, I haven't been homeless. All these, I haven't been a migrant. I haven't had gender diverse. And it's been a real learning experience. And I've got to admit, I had some totally wrong perceptions, uh, maybe homophobic or, or whatever, in, in, in a number of different areas. But it's been a huge education for me. And I, it's equipped me to far better handle, support, um, work with people like one of the lessons I got, like I, I said, I've never taken a legal drug in my life. And I was chatting to one of our mentors who, who used to take drugs. And he said to me, do you want to reduce illicit drug usage? I said, yeah. He said, stop sexual abuse. And I thought, and then I got it. I got it. And as someone who was judgmental, who look at people, oh, that's, you know, it then, you start to focus on the cause, not the symptom, and it transformed the way I saw a situation. Someone sitting on this corner, homeless, you know, why? And and there's there's a reason. And we're about to start a campaign around addiction and uh, Princess Kate from England, I think is an ambassador in this area. But one of the statements you made, no one sets out to become an addict. They just want to cover their pain or the hurt, whatever is there. So what I want to do is educate the Ians of the world 
and that's and so so that's where where it's at um it's a it's a struggle uh, it, it's it, it's a huge amount of time um we're putting our own money into funding this i'm um, I'm about to get charity status in australia which means we can start applying for grants um and i'm hoping it will go down the same path as mentoring men and i i'll share this i mentioned just before we came on air so i got a cancer diagnosis uh last friday i'm really upbeat and all that but what i want to do is is leave a legacy i want to leave the world a better place for me being here i'm getting a bit emotional about this now so i want my my i said what my dream was for mentoring men my dream for kintsugi heroes is that anyone going through a life challenge will be able to readily find a story where they resonate with the storyteller and the story itself addresses inspires them gives them hope around the situation they've got and we've had a few people uh, who we've in Kintsugi heroes who've, who've been through cancer stage four uh, cancer and, and they're in recovery so um or remission so it's stories like that would give me would give me hope um okay i'll stop yeah, no, I, and I'll let Roger go respond in a second, but it just brings up so much for me after having gone through job loss and all these other things in the last year. There's always more that other people are experiencing. And no matter what hardships you might be experiencing, you never really truly know what someone else is experiencing. <laughs> Excuse me. But it sounds like through this, this storytelling, there's healing in the storytelling and there's the opportunity to to learn about another perspective and another uh, person's life that could be changing for your own life. It could be um, so many, you know, moments that, that are shared through this. I'm like, really excited to see what this project yields. Yeah. What you just said there when you, there's this old saying, you know, the man with no shoes stopped complaining when he saw the man with no feet. And um, I said, I, I, I'm so close to these stories. Um, despite some of the challenges, like we, we, they should be edited better, but the, the core of the story um, just resonates with me. Um, can I share maybe one of them? Um, um, oh, it's just so many, but I, uh, I don't know which one to pick, but I'll pick Gregory's, Gregory Smith, not Greg Smith, Gregory Smith. The name is very important. He was um, physically abused by his father at two. And then, with his three siblings abandoned by his mum in an orphanage at 10. He was classified, I forget whether a psychotic or as a psychopath within the orphanage. He was treated awfully there. And then years later, he was living, I think he's in, this would be in his 50s, he's living as a, a drug addicted, alcohol addicted uh, hermit in the we call it the bush outside of uh, Byron Bay in the, on the coast of New South Wales. Uh, incredibly violent um, and no hope, sick, uh, uh, physically sick, mentally sick. And this transformation happened. Uh, he was trying to get a job as a cleaner, but who's going who's gonna to employ a guy with, in his position? And he saw education as a way and he saw what we call it a school certificate it's like it's really low level everyone gets their school certificate of course he didn't have that and he thought doing that would 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 help him get a job 
fast forward. He's now a, a professor in sociology. It's Professor Gregory Smith. In his, in his uh, I think he qualified his late 50s. He's the professor to one of our mentors who's doing a PhD at the moment. He advises our state government on homelessness. Um, in his 60s, he's uh, uh, become a father for the first time. He's given a couple of TED Talks. Um, it's, it's just an amazing story. And it, it will give hope to a lot of people. I can't imagine a bigger transformation being, I think he said he was like 40 or 50 kilos, growing his own uh, marijuana, brewing his own beer. He would sell those to get enough money for some food, but just emaciated. And now he's uh, a man. Uh, and and the, the name, at the end of it, he talks about the importance of his name and that he said, they can't take my name off me. And the important thing was to him, his name and also his word. Uh, amazing story. So if it's available uh, on YouTube and, and uh, on our on our podcast. But that's I could talk passionately about the other stories, men and, and women, of just pearls of wisdom. So just for my benefit, it's just, it's, it's given me such hope. I, I, I really love the idea because we do grow and we do experience our own growth when we take in other people's perspectives. Uh, Wendy and I have, have, uh, we, we've done another podcast together and we were talking about my bracelet that broke. And, and, and I was sharing that that bracelet had a symbol, a symbolic meaning to me. And Ian, when, when I shared that with other men, uh, we would, we will start bonding. Well, you know, there was kind of a bridge there, right? And you start talking about your own experience, right? And, and you start talking about, uh, I think the, the big thing that you're doing right now with mentoring men and, and with your, with, uh, Kintsugi heroes is that you're allowing connections to be formed. And it's so important because sometimes uh, you mentioned this earlier, men want to connect, right? Women do too. Right. But obviously there's something going on that men are out here, frankly, going through a, a really bad mental health crisis that they're committing suicide on a far larger scale than women are. But there's a connection that wants to be made. And it's, it's great that you're doing this because when they hear these stories and they hear these people, that almost gives them permission to share. And it's wild to think that we're so uh, dominated by cultural stigmas, by our own cultural traditions, by patriarchal thoughts, right? That men are we're tough and we're supposed to not say this and do that and oh, don't cry and blah, blah, blah that we don't allow ourselves. We have to give ourselves permission only when we see somebody else sharing. Yeah. I, I think it's beautiful what you're doing with that. It's such a great comment. And if we could change anything, imagine if we could change men to not have this, this uh, pressure around a per perceived how, how a man acts, this stoicism. A couple of thoughts here. As part of our mentor training course, um, on this, this two-day course, on the second day was this talking circle. And I didn't develop the course. And I thought, oh, this is going to suck. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but it was the second day and trust had developed. There'd been a number of exercises on the first day. And I don't know if you know what I mean by talking circle, but there's a, there's, they would read out the rules as an object that would get passed around. And the rules were just talk, say whatever you want to say, what, how you're feeling. No one interrupts. If you want to pass, you pass. 
And the first guy, I remember, I miss my dad. His dad had gone, I can't get access to my kids. My mum gambled away our house. And there were tears and this, this, this raw sh sharing around the table. In the corporate world, I, I'd be at conference rooms and you think all these people have got it all together. That's the perception because we all put on this facade. But here was a bunch of guys being totally open with what they're feeling. And I just felt such empathy for these guys. In fact, I shared some things. I, I shared what I wasn't intended to share when I saw what they were doing. And it's, I, I, I remember I grew up in, in Victoria. My dad would take us camping, uh, me and my two brothers and other or men and their sons. And it was all about guns, guns and shooting things. And anything like I hated, I hated shooting. Um, they would, uh, there was, there'd be wedge-tailed eagles in the sky and one of the guys would be on his back with a 303 trying to shoot them. Anyway, they go out spotlighting and this is a 10-year-old. I didn't want to go. So I would stay back in the tent while all the others went out thinking, what sort of man am I? I don't want to go out and kill things. Now, I'm not judging people who, who you know, it's, there's, there's vermin, they, you know, they need to be shot. But I'm now totally okay I'm just a person who doesn't want to do that. And that's totally okay. It doesn't make me less of a man. I let my grandkids paint my nails sometimes. That doesn't mean I'm less of a man. Do you know what I mean? So, um, in fact, I, I'd rather not define what a real man is. What I'd rather define is what a real man isn't. And a real man doesn't commit things like violence against other people, right? Against women or anyone else. So I, I think it's far easier to say how real men shouldn't behave, but if I wouldn't put any constraints around what they need to, what are the essential things for a real man to do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. I actually have a uh, saying that I use with my clients and I tell them, I, uh, I don't care if who says that they are a real man. I just care that men realize who they are. You know, I, I think that's really the the root of what we're trying to do. And, and a lot of us come from these these backgrounds where we are battling these misconceptions, right? Where, hey, what's a real man? And, and you know, uh, you know, he's a tough guy, and I like to shoot guns, and I you know lift weights and do all this other stuff. But but uh, we, we we get we we're basically constraining ourselves in who we can be, you know, because there's some guys that don't like to shoot guns. There's some yeah. guys that don't want to do that stuff, you know, and and I know. I, I know that this same type of, uh, of uh, social constructs exist with women as well, where they have to battle these defined roles and these uh, conceptions that, hey, women are supposed to act this way and men are supposed to act this way and so forth. I, I'm pretty sure, Wendy, uh, you, you've battled through that as well, right? Yeah, that. And I think the, the other part is sometimes we ignore... Um what is truly there in favor of stereotypes, right? Because it's stereotypes provide a shortcut. So it's easier to understand the world with stereotypes because we can just say everybody is like this or in general, it's like this. But typically, if you really dig below the surface, no one completely adheres to the exact stereotype, right? We all have individual traits and differences and life experiences. And so for men or women, there, there isn't a complete definition, I think, that you're going to adhere to all the time. <laughs> and 
And I love to work out, by the way. I lift weights all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's it's not helped. There, there was a, a very popular film recently, uh, the, the latest Top Gun one, which uh, which I watched. And, and, uh, uh, and look, I know it's it's just light entertainment, but it's the men are the guys playing volleyball without shirts on with these magnificent bodies. And 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 it, it's look, I, I get it. OK, but if that maybe some of that sinks in and people think, well, that's that's what I've got to be. Um, you know, I, I'd love to be a cross between Indiana Jones, James Bond, and Clint Eastwood. Well, I, I but other than the the shooting and killing things, but uh, anyway, that's not. I, but I'm I'm totally happy with the with the the man that I am, and and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think another point too is that ma many men, unfortunately, do struggle with this identity because. The, these self-imposed things, but also when when they encounter situations in life and they don't have those right tools, right? And they stick to they stick to their guns, for lack of a better metaphor, but they stick to their guns to what they were taught and what they were learned. Uh, one thing, you know, I always bring this up. I love my father. I love my father to death, but my father is so ingrained in the traditional and cultural customs where he's the patriarch, he can say whatever he wants. You have to respect him. And, and being a father of an LGBTQ son, you know, I, I you know, there's just certain things that I'm not going to accept from him. And, and, you know, there's this battle that he has that he's still going through. And it's unfortunate, uh, you know, and I say it's unfortunate because I just don't see him moving forward. And I don't, I, I almost feel like he's almost to the point where there's no helping, you know, now I've helped him before. But I don't think I'm getting to him because of the traditional and the societal things and the machismo thing. You know, he's still with the same friends. And I think this is why your program is so important, Ian. You know, it's also important who you surround yourself with, right? Because my dad, for example, he surrounds himself with the same friends who have the same stigmas, who have the same cultural traditions. And there's no way my dad is going to be walking around with them to them like, hey, here's my gay son and his drag show, you know, it's just not going to happen, you know? And so, so I get that, you know, at the same time though, we, 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 as men, you know, we, we, our parents were surviving, right. And now we are thriving and that's why we create these spaces. We create these environments where uh, men can share. Uh, I wanted to, you know, you gave one example, Ian, I was hoping maybe you could give another example, maybe a long-term situation where you saw somebody really struggle internally with creating change for themselves. Uh, and I say this because I, I have clients, I'm a co-parenting coach and consultant, and I have clients that just struggle mightily with changing even a single portion of their behavior because it just it's just so difficult for them to understand. But when they get to that point and then they make that change, oh my God, it's like a revelation. They're just like, oh my God, I should have done this, you know, months ago, years ago or whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough question. I think sometimes like having a mentoring relationship may help that there could be some goals that are set and then maybe someone to hold them accountable, not, not to put, it's not about pressure, but it's just about encourage them. Um, like, you know, it, it, mentoring is a great way to set and achieve goals, having someone else on your team. 
um, that will walk with you as you do that. And, and like these techniques, like your smart goals and breaking it down into different stages and things like that. Um, I think also things like your podcast or Kintsugi Heroes stories, um, you know, people listening to this will, will see that, you know, I changed direction and, you know, made mistakes, but, but, but kept going. There's a saying, you know, for, uh, if you, you're going to fail, but fail early and then you, you learn and less impact, then you get up and move on again. So I, I think it's, it's, it's probably a combination of those, some techniques, having someone walk with you and then maybe having inspiring stories. Um, Rodriguez, I come back to your, your dad's situation. One of the things I've seen, and social media has made this even worse, it, it drags people. People tend to associate with groups who just reinforce their beliefs and even take them further. And one of the questions that I, uh, and I, 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 I would ask to someone who had a, a particular trench, entrenched view, because I want to put acknowledge right up front, I had all these, th I knew the answer to these things, and I, I was 100% wrong on a number of those things, right? I talked before about addiction, I'd say around gender diversity, things like that. And, and, and anyway, but if you were to ask them, what information would you need to see for you to change your position? And a foolish response to that, in my view, would be there's nothing you can say that's going to change my view. And I like a model where there's a wire that almost goes between two extreme points. Uh, yes, no, black, white, uh, right, right, wrong or whatever, but never gets there. And then there's a bead on the wire. And as I have conversations with you or whatever on a particular issue, oh, okay, I might move that bead one way or another. But the problem is these people are on so many different things like climate change, for instance, are so firmly entrenched one way or another. And it, it just, there's just no openness. We've lost the ability to have a conversation where we may express different opinions, but it just gets vitriolic and, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's really sad. Um, I, I was at the gym. So I, I'm actually, uh, physical exercise, huge part of what I do. I was at the gym and I, I, I knew a guy who was at, at, at the gym and he looked incredibly down and I asked him, I said, are you okay? And, and he, he said, Ian, can we chat? Can we go for a cup of coffee? So we, we caught up and his son had decided that he wanted to, to have a, uh, become a girl. And, um, he, the, the son had, had, had been through the, 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 the sex change. There's all these, drugs and hormones they take, which greatly increase their, um, add risk to their mental health. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And you can imagine how hard this was for the father and the mother. And he was trying to support, he could only support by doing, he'd go around and clean the house or mow lawns or do things like that. And he was coming, like your dad, I guess he was coming to grips with this in, in his own mind, but ultimately came to the point where it's all about love and, and, and support and all that. And stories like that, it, somehow you, your dad 
or people like that just maybe need to see a different view. I, I, do you know what I mean by uh, NLP? Do you do do you do? I, I, okay, I don't know much about. It. I did a workshop. I love uh, neuro linguistic uh, programming. Oh, if anybody doesn't know what it is, it's amazing. <laughs> Wendy loves okay. it. Yes. Okay. okay. Look, one of the tools that I was was that you have two chairs up opposite each other, and yet there's an observer, and the idea is you sit in one chair, and that say that's you. So so that could be your dad. So I'm not picking on your dad. It could be anyone within the trench view, and talk to whoever the the person is that they're struggling with and express their views. Then they get up out of their chair and they go over and sit in the other chair and then talk back to your dad. So this is your dad talking to your dad, but in the position. And then all of a sudden, hopefully, like I did this with, I had a, I was struggling with one of my daughters. She said to me, dad, this is back when flat out with mentoring men. She said, dad, you care more about these men than you care about your own family. Boom which is pretty tough. I looked at uh, and, um, but I did this NLP exercise there and I saw things totally from her perspective. I was able to do that, saw things from my perspective and then worked out a way through. Uh, yeah, that, um, th they're my thoughts on the situation. It resonates with me. I'd, I'd love it if we could just penetrate in that mind and, and maybe just get a, a little bit of a mind shift there. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I would like to say, you know, just on a personal note, my dad has made some strides, you know, and some strides that I really didn't think he would make. And so it's little by little, you know, and we can't, uh, we, we can't really, uh, I, I can't expect the, my dad to have the same mindset that I do. But I also, and I think this is one of the things that I love about mentoring men, is that folks that join the program or see the program and <clears throat> start participating, they are making an active effort to understand who they are and become better versions of themselves, right? Yeah. They've realized, hey, I'm in a state where I need some help. I, 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 I need some guidance. I need to talk to somebody. And I love that about that because there are very little resources out there for men to, to help them. You, know, to, you, you mentioned it yourself here in the United States. It's really the same thing. You, you see these programs starting to pop up here and there. But for the vast majority of folks, they're not even aware of it, you know, and, and I would like to, th I've done my mental health journey. I, I was in relation in uh, couples counseling and then individual counseling and individual therapy. And, oh my God, it, it's, I would like to, I'd say it saved my life. You know, I was, I was going through things and doing things I didn't even realize I was doing until I understood that the, the underlying trauma, the underlying meaning behind everything I was doing. And once I was able to really combat that and understand why I was acting that way and what I needed to do and then have a good resource and toolkit, well, you know, I, I feel I'm doing great now. Anytime I experience something, I know how to handle it. Or at the very least, I say, hey, you know what? Let me call my therapist. You know, let's see what I got to do here and so forth. Unfortunately, for a lot of men here, we, we don't have access to that. Well, in, in Australia, the, um, the ratio of, of funding on women's programs compared to men is conservatively estimated about 10 to one. Um, there's lots of views that it's a lot more than that. Now, now, no one's advocating reduction in any women's program, but there needs to be more programs to support men. And there's this view out there that you just create a generic program for men and women, but the needs are different and it's, it, it, it doesn't work. Um, evidenced by the, the suicide rate and, and the other issues we have in, in the community. Um, so we have a, 
a group in Australia called the Australian Men's Health Forum who advocate for men. Um, but it's it's a tough tough slog. Men are on the nose here. There's a very a lot of publicity around the awful situation where there's uh, men kill women and potentially kids in domestic violence situation, which is just horrific. Um, um, but that then influences we demonise men in that situation, and I said I can't repeat. It's horrific. I'm involved with the local women's shelter, but what we should be doing is supporting those men. This could have been incorrect parenting. Where do they go for support if they're committing violence or thinking about violence? And um, yeah, I think we need to change the model. Uh, look, I'm not trained in any of this stuff. I just observe and, and see what's happening, and it's not working. It's not working at the moment, and uh, it needs to change. I, I'm laughing, Ian, because you and I were not trained in this, right? But we just fell into this. I mean, honestly, I, I, I was not expected to be a co-parenting coach and consultant. I'm a mediator with the state of Texas, and it was actually somebody else. Uh, I always elevate her name. Her name is Deidre Jones. She is a uh, entrepreneur and she saw something that she said, man, you need to share your story. You know, you have a fantastic co-parenting story. You have a fantastic men's story. Share it. And I started sharing it. And that's how I started developing my niche uh, uh, business. But going back to what you're saying, I, I see that so often. And, and I always tell a lot. I always end up telling my men, my clients, or, or my men, I tell them, hey, man, look, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. But let me tell you something. I, I can see that you, you know, we, we, let's go together. I will, I will go with you, you know, or, Hey, what, you know, you need a good therapist. I have one. If not, let's find one, you know, this and that. And, and I'm very proud to say that I've, I've actually helped a lot of men start their mental health journey. And, uh, and I'll, I'll share this one story with you. I had a gentleman and, and we were talking and he said, uh, he was having a rough day and he was with his daughter. Right. And his daughter was asking him, Hey dad, what's wrong? And he goes, Oh, nothing, baby, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but I'm, I'm hurting, you know, I'm hurt. I said, then why did you tell her that? Why would you lie to the people that you love? You know, you don't have to bawl, right? You don't have to cry or anything, but you, it's okay to tell her, I'm having a hard time, baby. You know, I'm having a hard time or I'm having a rough day, but it's okay. I'm here to play with you this and that. Turns out later on, a couple of weeks later, he, you know, he's with his daughter and his daughter basically says the same thing. And he goes, Oh, I'm, I'm having a rough day, baby girl. You know, I'm, I'm just, it's just been tough, you know, work and, you know, doing a couple of things, but I'll be okay. And his daughter reached out and gave him a hug and said, don't worry, daddy, we'll do this together. Oh, my, I, I cry every time I share. That's a great story. And oh he, he, he was, he was bawling when we were talking and he said, oh my God, Rodrigo, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. I needed my daughter to like be my advocate. And here I was lying to her, like you said. And then when I showed my heart to her, she showed her heart to me. And yes. oh my God. And of course he was like, bro, oh my God, you're a genius. You know? <laughs> oh my God, I'll, you know, this and that. But he was, you know, he was so happy. And, 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 and I share that story because again, the work that you're doing, Ian, I know you've had those breakthrough stories where it just clicks for somebody and they realize, man, I'm holding back unnecessarily. If I just am who I am, people will accept me. And I can move forward and be the best version, the best possible version of who I am. Yeah. And I know, Ian, I would love to talk to you for days, but you have so many things to do starting your day. And I just wanted to give you space to plug how people, if they loved what you're doing and they want to support you, 
how can we help? Um, how can we help you? How can we lift up your platform? And where can people find you to support you? Thanks, Wendy. Much appreciated. Um, the passion project is Kintsugi Heroes. The website is uh, kintsugiheroes.com.au. I probably should spell that actually. It's uh, with an Australian accent. It's a uh, K I N T S U G I H E R O E S dot com uh, dot au. Uh, and my email address is ian at kintsukiheroes.com.au. Uh, Mentoring Men um, is uh, mentoringmen.org.au. Uh, so the program currently only operates in Australia, but uh, uh, I'd love to see it operate worldwide. And um, people, please check out our podcasts or check out YouTube, download them. Uh, I mentioned Gregory Smith, uh, but they're all, I think they're all great. Um, if, if people want to get on board with that, with sharing their story or with uh, supporting us, um, or supporting a particular theme, just please uh, contact us. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing all your stories today with us and being so inspirational mm -hmm. and making us part of your legacy, because I do believe this is um, going to be a really great uh, episode that people will find so much value in, but also just to be able to see how they can make an impact and turn their passion projects at any point in their career into their full-time, you know, what they're doing. And then maybe even start a second passion project. <laughs> so thank you so much, Ian, for being thanks. here. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Rodrigos. Much appreciated. Yep. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being here for this episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast with our guest, Ian Westmoreland. And we will be back with another episode next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast. It's been awesome to interview today's guests, and I hope that you leave inspired to take action. If you're looking for any of the information we spoke about, it's probably down in the show notes. Make sure that you're checking them out and you're clicking on any of the links that seem exciting to you. If you are looking for a coach or a consultant to help you with your social impact or your sustainability, reach out to me via my website, hop on my email list, or jump into one of my programs. All of the links are below. So excited to have you as part of the collective. Make sure that you come back and join us for another episode next week.